Welcome to the Boonville Worship Center Sermon Podcast. How many of you can testify this morning that he took what the enemy meant for evil and turned it for good? Come on. Who can testify to that this morning? Come on, let's give him a praise offering. He takes what the enemy meant for evil and he turns it for his glory. Amen. I don't know about you. I want to see some more victories. Tell me you want to see some victories. Amen. Let's pray together. God, we just step together in you and in faith this morning. We thank you that you are a miracle worker. We thank you, God, that you are a defender. We thank you that there's no mountain that you can't move in Jesus' name. And we just stand in your presence this morning and we just testify, Lord. We testify this morning how you've worked in our lives. We testify this morning that, God, what the enemy meant for evil in our lives, that you turned it for your good, that you brought life and healing out of it, Lord. And we just thank you for that and we celebrate that this morning, God. And, and Lord, we, we want to see victories. We want to see more victories. And so we just pray together, God, in faith this morning, God, that those that are standing here this morning and they're singing this song out in faith, God, maybe they haven't seen that victory yet. Maybe they're still in that battle, but they know that you're fighting, God. Lord, we just agree with them right now. We agree with your favor. We agree with your victory, God. We agree that you're in the midst of that thing with them, God, and you are strengthening them through that season, that thing that they're going through, and that you're going to bring them back, uh, God, on the other side victorious and stronger than they've ever been. And we just thank you, Jesus. We give you praise and honor. Oh, God, just let your word have its way in us this morning. We worship you. We honor you. We just stand in your presence this morning. All that we have need of is in your presence. So we just stand in your presence and we just say, Lord, work in us. Let your presence work in us. Let it heal. Let it restore. Let it give direction. Let it give correction. All that you need to do, we just stand in your presence. Your presence is more than enough. We thank you. We give you glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen. So welcome again to Boonville Worship Center. We are glad to have you. It is always a privilege to come and to release the word to you. It is also a labor. It is challenging to really work something into my heart and then labor over how do I get this into understandable, preachable content. But I don't just want to release messages to you to get through the week my aim is always to be transformed by the light and the truth of this book and then to release that in a way that's encouraging and imparts life to you. How many of you want to be transformed? How many of you want to use church just to get through the week and hopefully in 10 years, you're the same as you are today. Anybody want to stay the same? I don't. So I'm going to pray. Lord, we pray, Father, that you would release God life into our spirit. God, we pray that you, God, would release help. 
Lord, we call upon you as the helper, Lord, to come and to help us, God. Lord, by our own confession, Lord, we do not want to stay the same. God, we need encouragement. We need help from you, Lord, to become who you've created us to be. God, to be transformed, God, in, in public and in private. Father, we ask you for that help. In Jesus' name, amen. So tonight, I am, or tonight, <laughs> good evening, everybody. <laughs> All right, now I need to wake up real quick. This morning, I'm going to be speaking on the lost art of biblical encouragement. The lost art of biblical encouragement. And in natural fashion, this will probably not be a one-off sermon. This will probably be part one of an undisclosed number. But as I've been really looking at this topic of encouragement, um, I have, I, I'm seeing the connection between this topic and other things that I've preached in the past. Number one being the series on grace that I spent whatever it was, four or five weeks preaching on, on grace. The topic of encouragement really is deeply connected to the topic of grace because a, an individual that is struggling to walk in grace will naturally not be an encourager. And a community that's struggling to walk in grace will be a community that's primarily operating out of law, which is fear-based, which doesn't impart encouragement. So a community that's struggling to live under the grace of God is also a community that won't encourage. We won't encourage one another. So I want to explore this topic because it's so needed. It's needed for all of us. I mean, how many of you know the statistic? Like even for pastors, it's something like 80% of pastors don't feel like they have any friends. 80%. 80% of pastors don't feel like they have anyone to, to encourage them. To, to, to live life with at a depth that actually imparts encouragement. And that's a shocking statistic. How much more is that true for, for all of us, whether we have the title pastor or not? So this topic of encouragement has really, it's stirring me to the point of wanting life transformation myself. How many of you, when you, when you hear the name Jason, the first word that comes into your mind is encouragement, encourager, full of life, ready to speak life into the deepest pains of my heart. Anybody? <laughs> is nobody going to encourage me? And that's why we have the statistic. <laughs> it's hard. To come to, to come to grips with, to face the raw reality of our own lack. 
So as I'm looking at this topic, I'm looking at the topic and saying, me, Jason, Pastor Jason, whatever, me, I need to grow in the reality, the art of encouragement, the reality of encouragement, the heart posture of encouragement. I need it. I need to learn how to encourage. And it's easy when we go through difficulty to, in our pain, point the finger at everyone else, right? At our spouse, at our church, at our pastor, at everyone else, and be like, I'm hurting. You fix me. You speak life to me. You fix your problems so that I'm okay. What's 100 times harder than that is to take an honest look at ourselves and say, okay, my life would be better if I was an encourager. My ministry would be healthier if I knew how to encourage. My marriage would be healthier if I knew how to encourage. My relationship with my kids would be healthier if I knew how to encourage. So that's the underlying heartbeat of this message, which will probably be a lot more than one. So I'm going to open with a verse. My intent right now is not to tear apart this verse or elaborate on the verse, but I just want to release it just as an anchor. And we'll see if I actually get to it in my notes later. But Hebrews 10, 23 through 25, it says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. He who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So this is the passage that I want us to be thinking about as I begin to walk through this message. But it's this phrase, let us consider. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. How many of you know that that takes effort? Let us consider how. That's going to take emotional capacity. It's going to take cognitive strength. It's going to take vulnerability. It's going to take time and effort to consider how. How do we stimulate one another to love and good deeds? And then as it says later on in the passage, but encouraging one another. Let us consider how. How many of us know it's, it's not automatic. We don't automatically know how to encourage one another. We don't automatically know how to be vulnerable. We don't automatically know how to, to, to lower the walls, lower this, the self-defensive mechanisms to keep people at a distance. We don't automatically know how to do that. 
So as this verse says, we have to let us consider how. Let us put effort into considering how is this done. And that is what I would like to do, is begin that journey today. So when you hear the term encouragement, what comes to mind? Do any verses come to mind? For me, what, what kind of immediately comes to mind is a few of the Proverbs. If you've read Proverbs lately, you'll perhaps remember or recognize some of these. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. It's a well-known proverb, Proverbs 18, 21. And then we have this one. Pleasant words are, as, are, are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul, healing to the bones. Pleasant words. They actually bring healing. That's Proverbs 16, 24. And this last one, I doubt anyone's memorized it. But like apples of gold and settings of silver is a word spoken in right circumstances. Kind of flowery language. But think about the truth of that. A word spoken in right circumstances is beautiful. A right word spoken an encouraging word spoken in the right circumstances is life to the soul. But let us consider how. How do we do that? How many of you need that? You need words of life spoken in the right circumstance to give life to your soul. We all have that need, but do we know how to do it ourselves? Do we know how to release it? Do we know how to give it? So when I think about encouragement, I think about a spectrum, a spectrum of encouragement. On the one hand, we have basic compliments. When someone gives you a basic compliment, it might spark a smile might spark a, wow, wow, you noticed I cut my hair. You noticed I have a new outfit. Or you noticed I bought a new vehicle. Right? That, that, that basic compliment might spark a smile. But it doesn't sink into the heart. It doesn't deepen your commitment or my commitment to persevere through hardship. And it doesn't really sow life to my soul. Basic compliments, by all means, don't stop saying basic compliments. They have some value. But that wouldn't be how you define biblical encouragement. A basic compliment doesn't meet the cut when, when we're talking about words of life that spur one another on to stay the course, to love God more deeply. On the other end of the spectrum is perhaps hitting a life crisis that is so hard and shakes you so deeply that you can't hide it. How many of you have been there? Something in life gets so hard 
that you can no longer hide it. And the pain on the inside is shown on the outside and people can see that you are in desperate need of encouragement or something's going to break on the inside. And in that place, it's a matter of life and death. Like you need encouragement or you don't know how to live out the week. You don't know how to make it through. That's the spectrum. Basic compliments that might perk a smile on your, put a smile on your face to facing life hardship that is so hard that you desperately need encouragement. So what is our life strategy? Because before we can tackle the topic of how to encourage, we have to think about our, our life condition, our bigger life condition. Most people in America, we live self-sufficient and independent lives. Yes? We live self-sufficient, independent. We've learned to do it on our own. We don't want to be perceived as weak, insecure, fearful, or incompetent. I think that pretty much sums it up. And out of this motivation, we want to hide from one another. How many of you want to be perceived as weak? Or insecure? How about fearful? How many, how many of you want someone else in this room to see the fear that hits your heart in various scenarios? What about incompetent? Anyone want to be perceived as incompetent? I don't. That's why I've given my life to learn as much as I can about everything. So that no one sees me as incompetent. I mean, I, I, I say that. But if I'm honest, like, that's probably there. Right? I mean, I grew up in a big family, Christian home, was one of nine kids, stuttered a lot, spent time by myself, like, so even in myself, I learned how to, quote-unquote, cope with loneliness by pursuing competency. If I'm going to have an opportunity to speak, I want to be competent. I want to know what I'm saying. I, 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 like, if you ask for the, the footnotes, so to speak, I want to be able to say, this is where I learned this. And I, you, can, you can read this book or watch this YouTube video or go here and I can show you. My knowledge base, I can point to where I got it. But what is it inside of my soul that feels like I have to be competent? 
somewhere in there is an insecurity to where I feel like if I'm competent, I'm okay. If I'm competent, I have value. If I'm competent, I have something to add to the conversation. So I learn a lot about things I'd never even do. I love learning. I'd rather learn than quote unquote be entertained. But at the root of that is their insecurity. At the root of that, have I learned to interact with people from a place of what I perceive to be competency so that I feel like I'll be valuable. I'll have something valuable to add to you if you can bring up some random topic and I'd be like, ah, I know something about that. And I can tell you what I know. All of us have that, perhaps in different areas. Because we don't want to be perceived as weak, insecure, fearful, or incompetent. How many times have we had someone ask us how we're doing and your response is, I'm doing great, or I'm doing fine, I'm fine, I'm great. But immediately after they walk away, you rehearse something in your head that's different than what came out of your mouth. You rehearse in your head how hard your marriage is right now. Or you rehearse in your head how much you're struggling in this area of life or that area of life. How, de how depressed you feel, how, how hard life is, how you didn't get the promotion you wanted. Or, and, and there's a tape that plays in your head immediately after you just told someone, I'm fine, I'm good. How many of us has that happened to? I, I mean, I'll raise my hand. I know what that feels like. Someone asks you how you're doing. You respond with this non-answer, but immediately it, you feel the pain of needing encouragement, but not knowing how to ask for it. Needing the benefit of vulnerability, but not knowing how to be vulnerable. All of us face that. But if we stay there, then where do we end up as a community? Right? It's called surface community. Surface level fellowship. If we only talk about the weather, if we only talk about sports, if we only talk about whatever, then we're remaining in that surface level community that never deeply touches us. It's a, it's a, it's a hard truth to, to ponder, but it's real. God created us for something more. He, God created us for something deeper, something more intimate, something more satisfying, but we have to figure out how to break out of that. Sometimes this response becomes so much second nature that we don't even think that we could pause and give a different answer. What are some of the inner beliefs that promote the lack of vulnerability 
that all of us have felt in one season or another. Perhaps here are some of the phrases that we say to ourselves when we don't know how to break through and be vulnerable. Perhaps we tell ourselves, no one really cares about me. How many of you have felt that? That phrase has gone through your head in a moment of emotional pain. Or no one knows me. Or no one has time for me. If they knew how I, how I am, really, how I'm really doing, they wouldn't want to be around me. If they knew how I'm really doing, they wouldn't want to be around me. If they knew who I really am, they wouldn't see me as valuable or desirable. If they knew who I really am, they wouldn't see me as valuable. If they knew the level of insecurity or self-loathing or fear that's inside of me, they wouldn't see me as valuable. I don't want to be seen as needy. How many of us have felt that? I don't want my weakness or pain to define how people see me. So because we don't want our weakness to define us, then we just, as I've said in other sermons, we buy a bigger rug and we just shove, shove the pain underneath. It's not worth the risk to uncover what I'm really struggling with. Not worth the risk. Or I'm terrified of rejection. How many of you have felt that? I'm terrified of rejection. If I tell you what's really in my heart, if I tell you what, I, what really makes me tick, what, what, really, what I'm really emotionally attached to, I'm afraid you're going to reject me. Or I don't want to be misunderstood or judged. If I expose my weakness, I don't want to be misunderstood or judged. I don't want to be blasted for how wrong it is that I feel the way I feel. I can, ha I can handle the pain and difficulty of life on my own. How many of us have rehearsed that? I'll handle it on, on my own. I would rather suffer in secret than expose my weakness, my pain, and my sin. I would rather suffer in secret than bring anything that's going on inside of me to light. Even if I did become vulnerable, no one would know how to help me. Even if I did become vulnerable, no one's going to know how to help me. Any of you felt any of those? I think if we're honest, more of those have passed through our head than we'd like to say. So Genesis 3.10. Just going to read this one sentence. It says, I was afraid... Because I was naked, so I hid myself. I was afraid. Because I was naked, so I hid myself. 
When we're talking about this topic of encouragement, if we're honest, we have to realize all of us struggle with it and suffer under it on some level. But why? Where did it come from? It came from this right here, Genesis 3.10. I was afraid. What is that? The core emotion. I was afraid. Fear. Because I was naked. I mean, I, I've, I said this multiple times throughout the, the messages on grace. We have, a, we have a reason, a context, a because for why we do the things we do and we struggle with what we struggle with. This excuse, this, this context, this because. So because I was naked, it's the core motivation. So I hid myself. The hiding becomes a strategy. So I feel fear that's triggered in this experience of being exposed to the, to, to the, to the sin, the, the wrongness, the badness inside of us. And then we develop a strategy. So I hid myself. So fear is the core emotion in all of these examples, all of these phrases that I gave you of, of things that pass through our mind. Fear motivates self-protection, which turns into a lifestyle of self-denial and hiding. I will rarely, if ever, feel deeply encouraged if I live a life of hiding. Because I can always rehearse that thing in my head that says, if they really knew me, they wouldn't like me. If they really knew me, they would think I'm a piece. They would think I'm a piece of work. They would think it's, I'm, I'm, too, I'm too much. So there's no such thing as deep, life-giving encouragement where there's not vulnerability. If we refuse to be vulnerable, we will never feel the life-giving encouragement that God has ordained to be a life, to be a source of life for us. On the other side of encouragement, we also have beliefs that hinder our ability to encourage one another. Right? So I just gave a list of things that I believe about myself that or that you could believe about yourself that would hinder us from being able to be vulnerable with another person. But what about on the flip side? If I'm the encourager, or if, I'm, if God tell, tasks me with encouraging someone, what are things that I could believe that would hinder me from walking that out? You could say, I'm not a pastor or a counselor. Which translates to, it's not my job, and I'm not trained. So I don't encourage anybody. It's only the job of the pastor to encourage. Everyone else just watch and wait. Take a number, sit in the back, wait your turn. In 3.7 years, I'll get around to encouraging you. Or perhaps we say, I have no clue how to help people. So instead of encouraging one another, I, I don't know how to help people. What if they tell me something intense and I have no idea how to respond? Have you ever thought that? 
Like, I, I, I don't really want to be vulnerable with you. I don't want to ask you a vulnerable question. Because what if you come out and say that your marriage is failing? Or that your son or daughter is in some awful place and you have no idea what to say? I don't have time to listen to people's problems. Perhaps that goes through somebody's head. I don't know what to say. It'll be too awkward. If someone's vulnerable about their personal struggle or their addiction or their marriage or their emotional loneliness or their pain or whatever it is, it's going to be too awkward. I'm not going to know what to say. It's not worth the risk of feeling incompetent. If someone tells me their problems and I have no idea how to help them, what will that spark? That's going to spark an emotion in me that's negative. I'm going to feel incompetent or I'm going to feel ill-equipped or I'm going to feel like, ah, I don't know what to do. Go to someone else, quick. So fear. Fear is the motivation in all of those scenarios as well. Fear that comes from the, from the fall is humanity's deepest and most frequently experienced emotion. All of us feel it. We may, we may not feel fear to the point of it dominating our life and we're, you know, incapacitated. We, we, we can't operate in life because we're so afraid. That may not be the case. But if you go through that list of things that go through our head that prevent us from being vulnerable or prevent us from initiating relationship or encouraging someone else, all of the reasons that we tell ourselves are based on fear. I'm afraid. I'm afraid of not knowing what to do or say. I'm afraid of the awkward. I'm afraid I'll be rejected. I'm afraid you won't accept me. I'm afraid I won't accept you. I'm, I'm afraid. So based on that fear, we live in the realm of surface community, which hinders the flow of God. It hinders life from flowing from me to you and you to me. I mean, how many, how many of you know the, the reality of church, the community that church offers? A lot of people criticize the reality of church and say, it's shallow. Have you ever heard that? Church community is shallow. Church community lacks depth. It lacks vulnerability. Church community... It, it, it doesn't go anywhere. Why is that? If, if, we, if we just push back that sentiment and say, oh, it's not true. It's not true about us. It's not true about our church. The, the, the quicker we react, the slower we are to learn. That's one thing I'm learning in life. Any area of my life that I'm quick to react or rebuff or give the opposing argument, the quicker I do that, 
it should be a red flag that I'm unwilling to learn in that area of my life. I'm unwilling to humble myself and say, I, I have need of understanding. I have need of help. If any area of my life, I'm just quickly rebuffing and pushing back and being like, I, I disagree and this is why. Then in that area, I'm refusing growth. In that area, I'm saying, I've, I've, hit. I've hit the mark of what I'm comfortable with. Don't ask me to grow, any, grow beyond that. But it takes humility to be able to say, to be able to be honest, I, I've heard this statement multiple times in the last, I don't know how long, but that the vulnerability and encouragement in an AA meeting, I've never been to an AA meeting, but I, this is by hear, hearsay, that the vulnerability and encouragement in a meeting like that is exponentially higher than what you'd ever find in a church. Right? People show up, they sit, and they, they sit around. Immediately, yep, I got a problem. This is my name, I got a problem. And what does everyone do? They clap, they say hello, Thank you for coming. We all have problems too. You are welcome to stay. Right? That doesn't mean that we are that, that that they're saying keep your problem. But there's a love and acceptance in the midst of the greatest areas of pain and trauma. And it creates a space where people feel like they can be open and vulnerable and be accepted. And this is where this topic of encouragement is connected to the topic of grace. Because if, if there's this idea, so this is not, the message of the Christian life is not this. Hear me. The message of the Christian life is not God is good, you are bad, try harder. How many of you have heard that or felt that? God is good, you are bad, try harder. That message, God is good, you are bad, try harder. That message creates the culture where no one wants to be vulnerable. Because in order to show myself to be a true Christian, if I'm really a Christian, then I can't ever say that I'm struggling. If I'm really a Christian, I can't ever say I need encouragement. If I'm really a Christian, I can't ever say I'm having a hard week. If I'm really a Christian, I can't ever say I'm having difficulty in my marriage. If I'm really a Christian, I can't ever expose that I feel depressed or that I'm wrestling with my faith or I don't know if I can trust God, or is this legit? If I'm really a Christian, that's where that sentiment comes from, is this belief system, God is good, you are bad, try harder. Is that the messaging that creates the culture of vulnerability and encouragement? 
No one's going to be vulnerable in that scenario. If we feel like your evaluation of me and my worth before God is measured by how put together my life is, then we're all going to hide. We're going to hide our weaknesses. We're going to hide our issues. And we're just going to pretend. Just put on your happy face. Your life's falling apart, but put on your happy face. Come to church. Give someone a high five. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. But inside we're wrestling. (laughs) The aim of biblical encouragement is the impartation of grace and gospel hope to people's hurting lives and difficult journey. That's the aim. To impart grace and gospel hope. In other words, life is harder than you ever wanted it to be. How many of you envisioned 10 years ago, 20, 30 years ago, you envisioned difficulty in your marriage? You envisioned fights that would last for days. You envisioned relational struggles even among family members. None of us ever, we all hope for life. We want life to be better than it is. Our journey to be easier, to be happier, to be full of deeper friendships, more life-giving connections. All of us want more of that. But there's this underlying ache that comes from the fall. So words that encourage and inspire are words that come from a place of love and they're directed towards fear. Words that encourage are words motivated by love and they're directed towards someone else's fear. Those are words that will truly impart life and grace to them. Is speaking into someone else's fear. Here's the tricky part. Our default, when someone exposes something of, of, of sin, something of a belief system that's wrong, a, you know, a, a, they, they, what, what they believe about God is wrong, like they think God is not trustworthy. What does that spark in us? It often sparks fear in us of being like, yikes, you're wrong. And if I think you're wrong, so you're afraid, right? Let's just play out the scenario. You're afraid because you think that God isn't trustworthy. Your life is going through hardship that you thought, if God was really good, this wouldn't be happening. So you're afraid. So then you tell me, I can't trust God. This is too hard. This scenario is too hard. If God was really good, this wouldn't be happening. So you, you share that in vulnerability with me. Then I feel afraid, right? I mean, we're, we, we all face the fear. So now I feel afraid because now this scenario, I don't have control over it. So I feel a lack of control. 
I don't know how to get you back in the healthy camp of believing that God is good, so what do I do? I'm like, I know the truth in here. So I'm like frantically finding the verse, and then I smack you over the head with the verse. Here's the truth. God is good. Of course he's good. Believe it. Are you really denying the gospel? Are you really saying that this is a piece of junk, that you don't believe the word? Is that encouraging? They're afraid. They share in vulnerability something that that they're afraid of. And then it triggers my fear because I take the truth and I'm like, this is the most stabilizing thing in my life. So I'm just going to believe, I'm going to submit to the authority of the book, I'm going to believe what it says, but their vulnerability can trigger my fear that then means that the way that I'm interacting with you is based on fear. And if I'm interacting with you based on fear, then I'm not speaking into your fear. I'm speaking out of my fear. And if I'm speaking out of my fear, I'm just adding fuel to the fire of something that's not life-giving. Does that make sense? So in order to be encouraged, someone has to partner with God to sense the fear inside of me coming from whatever it is that I'm exposing, to sense and and see that fear and be able to still accept me, to be patient with me, and to disarm the fear inside of me. If they react and get afraid themselves, then we accidentally are whacking each other with the scriptures of saying, this is, this is the standard, submit to it, believe it. Like your problem is because you don't, you don't trust God. Well, if, if, if you in vulnerability tell me you don't trust God, and then me in, fr- in, in my own fear just rise up and say, well, that's your problem. You don't trust God. So rise up, trust God. Is that encouraging? It might be true. And that's where we, that's where we got hung up. Because it is true. The, there really are verses about the goodness of God and about he he's really is reliable. He really is trustworthy. We really can trust him. I've said it before that the, the flesh stick to, sticks to my bones because of God's trustworthiness. He's upholding all things by the word of his power. So that's anchored inside of me. But if it's not yet anchored inside of you, or if you have a, a, a trial in your life that causes that to be questioned, then in order for life to be imparted, encouragement to be imparted to you, the fear has to be addressed. And it's not addressed by just whacking each other over the head with the scriptures. Because if I get whacked over the head with the scriptures, of saying, yeah, of course you're suffering. You're suffering because you believe the wrong thing. That's what I've been trying to tell you. So believe the right thing and then you won't suffer. That's true. I mean, that's like really, really, really true. 
If I believe wrong things, I will suffer under those wrong things. But the truth of it, we, 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 we forsake we forsake the fruit of the Spirit because we're so caught up in, well, you're believing a lie and you're suffering and I know the truth, but yet you're not submitting to the truth, which frustrates me. So instead of realizing love is patient, love is kind, love is gentle, instead of realizing like, wait a second, Every, the, the, way I'm, the way I'm interacting with your weakness has no patience, no love, no tenderness, no kindness. Why? It's because I'm afraid. I'm afraid of what will happen if you stay in your funk because you believing things that are hurting your life will inevitably impact me negatively, and I don't want to be impacted negatively. So then I'm afraid, and you're afraid, and we're all afraid. So we come to church with a smile on our face. Ah, how are you? I'm afraid. Are you afraid? Yes, we're all afraid. And no one gets encouraged. Or if we do try the encouragement, we're really, it's, it's really the more, the, the, the whack-a-mole, like, you know, if you, if, if you, if you, if you, uh, if you share your weakness, I'm just like, Whack, whack the head down. And then, and then you go pop up over here to share something else. I'm like, ah, whack, just shut up, believe the word. We do that because it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable to stay in that vulnerable space of being like, I'm not, I'm, I'm not always going to have the right thing to say. I'm not always going to know what to say. It's going to feel awkward. But biblical encouragement is about addressing that fear. So no one will get better until they are accepted in their failure. And that's by Dr. Henry Cloud. No one will get better until they're accepted in their failure. How many of you know that? And that again comes down to fear. If my life is not feeling put together, if, if I feel like life is falling apart, I don't know how to handle, I don't know how to do marriage, I don't know how to handle addiction, I don't know how to handle insecurity, I don't know how to handle depression, I don't know how to handle life, I don't know anything about life. And in that vulnerable place we hide. We hide because we don't know how to not hide. It's too uncomfortable. But no one will get better until they come into the light and until they're accepted. That's where the gospel comes in. Does God accept me once I clean myself up? Or is there instant acceptance once I turn my heart to him? The Bible says, there is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ. But we often, in practice, we don't believe it. We, 
we think if I can still see the, the yuck in my life, then there is condemnation because I feel it. I feel the yuck, so there is. So therefore, I don't believe the gospel. But the beginning of the gospel is I'm accepted instantly. God accepts me in my weakness, in my failure, in my sin, all of it, in the insecurity, in the fear, in the greed, in the lust, in all of it. He accepts me. Acceptance doesn't mean that he is promoting and wants me to nurture sin in my life. But he's saying, I have value, you have value because of the cross, because of his declaration over you that you have value. Your value doesn't go up or down because you struggle with insecurity or fear or greed or lust. Your value isn't going up and down based on how well you're doing in that area this month. You're always in, of infinite value to God. And if I can receive that, then the process of bringing things into the light is because God ordained it that way. He ordained for us to be vulnerable with each other in ways that open doors of opportunity for real encouragement. And we see that in Ephesians 4.29. It says, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. I'll read it again. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. It gives grace. Words of edification literally impart the grace of God into your life. Words of edification, they release grace. I mean, that's the life flow of, of success in life, is grace. I mean, it, it, it's, like, it's like the gas in your gas tank. Your car won't run without gas. Our life won't function well without grace. And where does it come from? Grace is literally woven into the fabric of encouragement. The more I release encouragement, I'm depositing life into your gas tank, so to speak. When you release encouragement to me, you're depositing grace. You're depositing life, the life of God into me. I'll read it in a different translation. In the NIV, it says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may, be bene that it may benefit those who listen. So God is calling us to have the words that come out of our mouth 
be aimed at a specific purpose. They're supposed to be related to the other person's need. In other words, I'm not speaking words out of my mouth for myself. I'm speaking words out of my mouth because I think I'm awesome and I think you should hear my awesomeness. It doesn't say that. It says, let no unwholesome words come out of my mouth. Let what does come out of my mouth be directed towards your need. So that it will help you. So that it will build up the hearer. So that it will impart grace to the hearer. But how many of us think about that? I mean, at, at the beginning, I read the verse, let us consider, let us ponder, let us consider, let us think about the reality of encouragement. If I don't think about it, then I'm going to use this tongue for whatever I want. Self-indulgent purposes. I'm going to say things pridefully because I think I'm awesome. I'm going to... Say things negatively to you or about you because I think you're not. <sighs> so we end up using our tongue for our own purposes. And if I'm only using my tongue for my own purposes, then God isn't slash can't use it. And if God is not, if I'm not offering my speech to God, for, it, for him to use it for his purposes, to build you up, then I'm missing out on an opportunity and I'm hurting the overall culture of the church. Because God is saying, I gave you a tongue and I'm telling you how to use it. Aim what you're saying and how you're saying it specifically to strengthen other believers. And we all contribute. We can't hide behind the, the title of I'm outgoing, I'm not. The Bible doesn't say if you're outgoing, use your tongue to edify others. And if you're not outgoing, you get a pass. The Bible says encourage one another. So what are some of the principles? People are suffering more than we know and often more than they know. People are suffering more than we know and more than they know. What does that mean? Any area of, of life in our own heart where we feel the deepest pain, we're often hiding it. Even, to, even from ourselves. Because we don't want that emo those negative emotions to be triggered. And if I don't want those negative emotions to be triggered, I'm hiding. I'm hiding what I'm really feeling. So when people are struggling, it often takes like this monumental pressure for, for, for us to be able to show to someone else that we're struggling. Words that come across as shallow or insecure encourage nobody. 
How many of you know that? Words that come across as shallow or insecure, or in, insincere, sorry, not insecure, insincere, they encourage nobody. In other words, it takes effort to dial down and listen. Encouragement is not about forcing an encouragement. Encouragement is about seizing opportunities. When someone is needing encouragement, we often, we dance around the topic. A, a lot of people don't just come right out and be like, oh, I'm in desperate need of encouragement. Please help me now. Please speak life into me. I'm not a female. Maybe females do that. <laughs> but most of the time, we, we, we dance around. So someone asks us how we are, and it's like we drop the smallest of hint in perhaps the speed of our speech, the, the, the way we say it, our facial expression, that we just drop this tiniest, smallest hint of like, well, if you're in tune, you're going to get the hint and you'll encourage me. And if not, then I'm going to stay discouraged. But that's real. All of us do that. The challenge, and, and how many of you, this, this has happened to you? Someone asks you a vulnerable question. You're ready to answer it. Like you choose in, in the moment. You're like, I'm going to be vulnerable. I'm going to answer their question. They ask you a vulnerable question. You're like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to share. But then this, they accidentally speed right past the question. And they don't even let you answer it. Has that ever happened to anybody? Or am I by myself? When we're talking about encouragement, it's about seizing opportunities. And part of, part of seizing opportunities is giving space. If we're, all, if we're only in a culture where it's like, how you doing? I'm doing fine. And then it's like, you, 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 don't, you don't even register. You don't register the question. You don't register the answer. You're just like, okay, I'm gonna, not even going to stop walking. I'm just going to keep barreling ahead to change the topic. That never gives an opportunity for someone to give an answer that's anything else other than the shallow answer of I'm fine. So a culture of encouragement is also slowing down so that when we genuinely ask, how are you? We pause long enough to give them an opportunity, if they want to open up, they can. We don't interrogate them. They're like, I'm fine. I don't believe it. How are you really? We don't want to do that. But we want to give legitimate opportunities. Because as I said, 80% of pastors feel like they have no friends. So the title of worship leader, pastor, youth pastor, elder, none of that decrease or it, it none of that makes life easier. 
So if we are going to be an encouraging church, which I believe we have the capacity to grow in this area, and I myself am committed to starting at the beginning, learning from the ground up, and evaluating my own life and interactions and saying, God, teach me. Teach me how to genuinely care. Teach me how to be vulnerable myself. Teach me how to seize the opportunity to, to use my heart and my tongue in a way that builds up other people. I am personally committed to that. Acknowledging my own weakness in the area of encouragement. If you ask my wife, she's not here. But if you ask her, I was far more the, here's the scripture, here's the truth, submit to it. You're suffering because you won't submit. She knows all about that version of me. And now 12 years into marriage, I'm like, I think there's a better way. I think there's a better way. And in my pride and in my own insecurity, I reacted to people's weakness that way. Thinking, well, I don't want to feel your weakness, so I'm just going to whack you silly until you learn to not be weak around me. Because I only want to hang out with the crowd that submits to this. Because you're a real Christian if you submit to this. I don't want to do that. I want to be the family pastor, the person, the friend, that can sit uncomfortable, not know what to say, but genuinely care. Care enough to listen, care enough to understand, care enough to seize opportunities to impart life. And the invitation today is that we corporately choose that, that we corporately start the journey. Somehow I'm only two and a half pages into my notes. <laughs> but we start the journey to say, to just self-reflection. I need more encouragement. And if I need more encouragement, then we need more encouragement. And if we need more encouragement, then, the only, then, then I can mope around and hate my life or I can face weakness and say, God, teach me. Teach me how to become that which I need. I mean, that's a, that's a marriage principle. Become the marriage partner of your spouse's dreams. Right? If I focus on, on, on being the best for them, then it will, it, it will dramatically change the scenario, the experience. And that's the same thing with encouragement. I can complain that there's not enough encouragement here or there, or I can take a hard look and say, God, I'm not an encourager. 
I, I believe the gospel theologically, but where is the actual flow of grace in my life when it comes to encountering someone else's weakness? If I encounter their weakness and I don't, and I'm not patient or kind or gentle, then I'm operating out of law and saying, this is the standard measure up or get away from me. And that's a graceless encounter that doesn't impart encouragement. So, Craig, I invite you to come up. The greatest levels of growth come when we are willing to be the most honest about ourselves and our need. I have spent much of my life rebuffing criticisms or rebuffing anyone pointing out anything weak or negative in me. But if I do that, I will never ever grow or change in those areas. The only way for growth personally is for me to face weakness, say, I'm not who I want to be. I have a lot to learn. So God, let's get started on the journey. That's where I'm at. And I want to invite us as a church to join. We've been through COVID. We've been through family members passing away. We've been through church hurt. We've been through conflicts. We've been through political upheaval. We've been, we've, we've, we're facing a lot. And I want to, in the midst of this, everything we're facing, say, how do we come out of this season better than we were before? And I think one of the ways is embracing this call to encourage. Encourage one another daily. Encourage, edify. Use your tongue to speak life into one another. And not just to expose weakness because it's wrong. So I invite you all to stand. If this message has challenged you to the point of wanting to come before God and say, God, teach me. Teach me how to be an encourager. I just invite you to come forward. It's not just about saying, I like my church, I'm comfortable at my church, I feel encouraged at church, therefore, that's the end of it. If you love your church and you feel encouraged at church, that's amazing, we want that. But maturity takes it another step and says, I'm not just worried about if I'm encouraged at church, 
I want to encourage someone else at church. I want to speak life into someone else because it gets us outside of ourselves. Praise God if you're encouraged. The call of God isn't just to be encouraged. The call of God is to release encouragement to one another. So Lord, we come before you. Father, we ask you, God, to encounter us in our fear. Encourage us, God, in the insecurity of our hearts, God, the things that hinder vulnerability, God, that hinder us from speaking life one to another. Father, we pray in the name of Jesus that you would release life to us, that you would release life through us, God. We, God, we repent, God, for any ways that we've used our tongue to speak negatively about our brother or to our brother. Father, we submit our tongue to be used as an instrument of righteousness to be used to speak life and encouragement, to impart grace to those that hear. God, in Jesus' name, we pray, use our voice to encourage. Father, we pray you'd reorient our vision for even our time at church, God, that we would desire to seize opportunities to speak life to one another. into our hearts, God, the name of someone in this church, God, that we can encourage over this next week or two. God, I pray you'd give us eyes to see, eyes to see the, the, the needs and the hearts of those around us. God, I pray that you would remove any selfishness in our own hearts, God, that would prevent us from seeing and caring about others. God, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would empower and inspire us. To release encouragement as a lifestyle. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus, God, for anyone in this room that is feeling deeply discouraged and they don't know how to share what they're feeling with another. Father, I pray in your mercy, God, you would impart courage and grace. God, you would open their eyes to see opportunities, God, for them to express their need. God, to receive encouragement, to receive prayer and counsel and help from others. 
God, we all need you desperately, God, and I pray, God, that you would transform us into a humble, a humble community that loves well. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us this week. Until next time.